0: This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. It's uh, me, Jack Pelzer. I'm here with Dan Hodgman. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast. It's presented by Top Step Trader. We are both, uh, our W-2s are signed by Top Step Trader. That is why it's presented by it. (laughs) And uh, yeah. There's obviously a lot of news going on this week. You know, the last time we recorded our intro was while uh, we were still counting votes in a lot of places, and we're still counting votes in a lot of places, but um, things are solidifying a little bit. So,
1: uh, I don't know if you can use the word solidifying. Now there's just more and more things just happening. Like, obviously we have, you know, it looks like we have an outcome, but there's... Hold on, my dad just turned the TV on in the other room. You have to use the other remote to turn it down. There's two remotes. Well, that's good stuff to leave in, keeping it all in the family. All right, he found the he found the volume remote. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like right now there's so many interesting things happening. Like we have an idea of what's happening for presidency. Where does this go? I hate I would hate to be like a caller for one of these like news channels. Like, yep, this is this is the case. Like I'd hate to be in that position right now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have some strong
0: opinions one way or the other. But since a lot of things are happening, we thought also we would uh bring the uh podcast a little bit to home today, in which uh our guest today, uh you might have heard him, is uh Dan Hodgman. It is Hey, how about that? <laughs> Who's that guy? F- yeah, well we thought since, you know, if you guys have listened to this podcast for a while, you've heard us babble on about all sorts of stuff, but you may only have hints, whispers of who we are or what we did or how it was that we came to uh, be two of Michael Patak's goons. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think we'll talk through all of that, but um, we have the luxury of doing the intro at the same time. So before we start, if there's anything
1: else, I mean, we're just kind of in a holding pattern at the moment. Right. I think we have to... You know, we got to touch on the fact markets, you know, made intraday highs yesterday. Um, today is Tuesday, November 10th. Speaking of November 10th, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to all my Marines out there and wish them a happy birthday. Um, this day, 245 years ago, uh, 10 November 1775, my Marine Corps came alive in a little ton tavern in, all, of all places, Philadelphia.
0: There it is, Philadelphia, just in the news all over the place. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I'm sure we will dive all into that. So uh, we'll kind of go back to a time where, uh, you know, the markets weren't so high, as that's what happens when time passes. So uh, Dan, we know, people listening to the show know that you're from a trading family, that your uh, dad was a trade. Were people traders beyond that? Was your dad the first
1: trader in the family? No, my, uh, it's funny, he's sitting out in the other room right now. Uh, His dad traded. Um, and then, you know, I don't know his perfect history here, but I believe his older brother was the first one down on the floor. And then, uh, and then my dad went down there in his early twenties, started out as a clerk and kind of worked his way up, uh, to being a head trader of a firm. I, I think everyone kind of knows his story. He's been on here before. Um, if you haven't listened to it, I think it was the first podcast of, uh, 2020 actually. So he worked his way up and then launched his own, uh, his own prop firm, um, after he realized you knew what the heck he was doing yeah well, and so, uh, so i'm i guess i would be considered third generation yeah it's a
0: job that's changed so completely much too and uh, dan and i are both from chicago and um you know for a long time back when the pits were around and stuff it was very common and I, I don't think i ever realized growing up is you know you would meet people whose families were in trading or whatever else and you thought that that was a normal thing but it was really a Chicago thing.
1: It was. Well, it's funny too, is like growing up, like as a kid, I never really appreciated it growing up in it. Like, you know, my friend's dads were all doing their thing. And like my dad was always home really early. And so like my friends would come home from school and just be super confused as how my dad was home at, you know, three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Like it's, why isn't your dad at work? Why isn't he traveling? And um, I just thought that was the norm because everywhere you looked, there were so many, everyone at some point was like, oh, I was down on the floor in 84 to 88. I was down there 92 to 96. Like everyone was down there at some point or a family member was someone worked in the industry.
0: Yeah. Everyone has to give it a try at some point to see if they're any good at it. So you'd go down and, you know, you try and be a clerk for someone. And that's sort of like the classic story that we've heard from a bunch of people. Um, So what's your sort of Earliest memories about starting to, did you talk shop with your dad or when you started getting into finance or? Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: for me, it was strange. You know, as a kid, you'd spend, you know, holidays. I always look at it like that's where it really resonated with me of learning what this was, was like holidays. And so, you know, Thanksgiving, we'd be at my, you know, my dad's family's house for Thanksgiving. And, you know the conversation that i could understand as a little kid was always you know what my mom and the women were talking about in one room but i wanted to hang out with the guys and so i'd sit there and i'd have to like try and understand this conversation of these guys talking about what options trading was and i didn't i mean as a little kid you know nothing um but as i got a little bit older and i would start going down to the floor and i'd get to watch what they were doing I w- it was so interesting to me um the screaming the yelling like as a kid, I think I had this notion that my dad sat at a desk and, you know, I didn't really process. Like, I knew he had a desk in an office. I didn't realize he never actually used that desk other than to, like, you know, keep sporting event tickets in a drawer. Sure. And, you know, set his uh, hang his jacket on the chair after working. And um, so it kind of went from there. And then as I got a little bit older... He started to introduce me to things, um, started showing me, you know, what he was actually doing. Um, and for me, it really started to like resonate of this is really the avenue I want to go. I was clerking for him and I started, I was just doing small stuff, you know, running cards. I, I started, you know, grabbing lunches for people, um, you know, sneaking food onto the floor. And I started running p ls at the end of every day. So you just sit there and you wait till about... 225 230 one settlement posted and then I'd sit there and I'd run all the option strike prices and base it off a of settlement price and then we'd input trades we did for the day and I'd start to see the p and like I had had jobs where you know my first job I was making I think it was four dollars and50 cents an hour um, cleaning boats and whatnot and that's kind of where I started and then I realized how much work it would take to make any money. And I started seeing, you know, these PNLs. I was like, oh my gosh. And I would try to do the math in my head of like, how many hours would I have to work at my job that I'm making $10, $11 an hour to start to recognize these numbers. And that's what it really triggered for me as something super interesting. Um, and so as I got a little bit older, I started to really dive into it headfirst, um, learning from everyone I could, every little bit of information that was put in front of me. I was trying to absorb it. I mean, to this day, Anytime I see anything happen, like the first thing I do is I'll call my dad and just ask the question, like, what are, what's your thoughts? What's your opinion here? What are you looking at? What do what would you see? But how would you react in this situation? Right. And i so I'm very fortunate to be able to constantly reach out, contact him, ask those questions. And then, um, got a little bit older. I stayed in it and, you know, did some college realized I wasn't ready for college. And so went back down to the floor, was working for him. And that's when it really opened up and he wanted to transition me into, you know, this big time, legit trader. And I ended up keeping things small, nothing crazy. And uh, I decided, go ahead and join the Marine Corps. And I made that transition and I stuck to my guns, especially after like really learning. And I spent, I think, almost a year on the floor doing everything you could imagine, um, you know, he'd bring me in there and teach me what he's looking at and how to read theoreticals, how to run theoreticals, like how to manage positions. If the market goes this way, how do you react? Like, what do you do? What are you looking for when you take on a trade? You know, how, how can you, how do you cover that? You know, what, what is covering, how do you hedge that position? Um, And then, you know, if you're, if you're long, you know, premium, how do you have to react to like, at what point are you going to be, you know, adjusting? Are you buying, you know, more bonds against it and things of that nature? so i really got into it but at that point it was like i had this come to jesus moment of like do i stay down here and keep doing this and like really live that life or do i stick to my guns of joining the marine corps and i had already enlisted at that point and my ship out date was thanksgiving or uh, easter sunday 2011 and uh then everything kind of changed yeah so was there a
0: specific like impetus or did you just always feel like, you know, um, join the Marines was something you wanted to do? <laughs> That's a deep, deep question.
1: I'm trying to, I'm getting into it. Um, seems what I know. know so here's, the so I, you know, I obviously, this is not like everyday conversation. The Marine Corps thing for me was, it was always something. Um, I'll never forget, you know, nine 11 and like the nine 11, obviously you saw all the branches, you know, marketing like crazy. And to me, like the Marine Corps was the biggest thing. Like nine 11 was such an interesting day i was sitting i went to a a catholic school grade school and we had church we were sitting in church and the the principal ran it up to the priest um and said you know there was a a plane hit world trade center let's get the kids out of here let's figure out you know they don't know what's happening right now they think it's just an accident and then we're sitting in class and uh i remember i'll never forget watching that second plane come right into the building just live And I don't know that we had, you know, there was fear that the board of trade was hit next. And obviously, like you know, my dad's down on the floor and I can't tell the story like he could, but man, I I do know he had his car jam packed with people trying to get out of the city. You know, my mom was in a pure panic and I, like everything that happened at that point, like it just started to resonate with me. Like there's something I could do. So as I got a little bit older, Marine Corps was always on the mind, like, you know, you graduate high school, kind of where I lived, it was, the path was you go to high school, you go to college, you get a job, like, that's the routine, that's how it's done. I, I've i never been, I'm uh, more of a, do it my own way and I'll figure it out. Sure. So I uh, joined the Marine Corps, I enlisted uh, on my 21st birthday in 2010, and uh, I shipped out April of uh, 2011. I can you know, I, when I look back on it, making that decision, it was really such an easy thing. Um, growing up in the industry, like, our, our, we lived a very fortunate life, and I realized, like, it's not something everyone gets to experience, right? And, like, we had – just living in the United States, living in the suburbs of Chicago, life – you kind of are in this little bubble. So you live in this bubble, and you don't really know what else is out there, like what other experiences people are going through. And so for me, like – I wanted to create an opportunity in some way of like benefiting someone's life somewhere. Right. Like right. we saw for a decade, you know, up to that point, we had saw everything going out in the middle East and like seeing how those people lived. Like I wanted to, I felt like the military was one way of me getting out there and trying to like better their lives. Um, and if I, you know, there was one person over my, you know, five years in the Marine Corps that I was able to benefit four years in, some change, I guess there was one person I benefited. I, you know, I did my, I did my duty.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. I, um, yeah, people do need to get out of the bubble as far as that goes. I don't know if this will be like a controversial thing to say on my part, but that's kind of why (laughs) we'll, we'll, we'll see. I have no idea how you feel about this. We'll bounce it off. I mean, that's one reason I've always been pro. Like, I think that we should have never got, um, rid of the draft. Like I, I applaud you for joining and stuff like that. But I think that the fact that we have, um, sort of made it, sort of insulated so much of the population from the people that have to go and serve, who aren't a lot of times, you know, from the Chicago suburbs or whatever else, I think leads to kind of, you know, a lot of just misunderstanding we have in general in the country, and it makes us make decisions in a different way.
1: The draft's such an interesting topic. We, we if You can put yourself in a situation where you're living out in the middle of a desert, and you're living in dirt holes and, you know, you can't stick your head more than two inches above with, you know, the second your head comes crests the the line, you got to have a helmet on because, you know, something can happen. You spend all this time having some of the most ridiculous conversations that come up. One of the biggest ones we talk about was always like, should there or shouldn't be there? Should there or should not there not be a draft? And in the beginning, I always thought like, hell yeah, everyone should serve. Like, come on. The more I think about it, and the more I was, you know, in the conversations, I think I, I actually am against this idea. For in the Marine Corps, I think maybe it's different across other branches. but oh, for like the, the Marines, Marine Corps. Yeah. I just like you. Really got to be. You got to have some screws loose in your head to want to do what we did. I mean, gosh, I was. You have to just—you can't be like forced into that situation. I think if you are, it's just never going to work. Oh yeah, like I don't think we should be drafted. You say
0: like marines or seals or you know <laughs> army rangers. It doesn't even have to be necessarily like I, I, I some I, sort of service. Some some sort of some sort of service. So at least people were hanging out for a while with you know people from outside the bubble and sort of like an organized thing, like living with them for a year. Because I mean, college really doesn't do that. I mean, as someone like. You can learn a lot in college. I took the other route where I went to a haughty, toddy private college, <laughs> and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like you know diversity of things there. But also the people that end up at schools like that for a variety of reasons, you know, are maybe not expanding your horizons in a certain way.
1: So that's interesting. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, you know, the one thing I look at it like it gave me such a cool opportunity. You know, like I said, today's Marine Corps birthday, so obviously, I'm chatting with all my buddies I served with. And tonight, I'm having um, we're doing a big Zoom call since we can't get out and like go celebrate our birthday. Marine Corps birthday is you know the biggest tradition in the military, and it's you know, it's the big party day um, for all Marines, and everyone in Marine towns know to just lock their doors on Marine Corps birthday night, sure. Um, but tonight, we'll be doing a Zoom call, and I got guys from Alabama, Louisiana, Washington, New York City, um, up in Maine. I've got a buddy in Georgia. I've got guys all different walks of life. We're gonna sit down and just have beers together and catch back up. You know, I'm texting with them all today. And I'm like, gosh, it's it's such a cool thing that I have every walk of life from every corner of our country, and we're all gonna sit down and have a beer tonight and laugh and joke around like we haven't you know skipped a beat in the last five six years that we've been out.
0: Very cool. And my understanding is, so we can bring things full circle. Um, you were still managing a
1: little bit of a book or something like that while you were uh in the marines, yeah, so uh, when I left for boot camp and you know the first six months or so i I didn't do anything, obviously, you know your first six, eight months in the in the military, you don't have time to sleep, you know there's the the joke if the Marine Corps wanted you to have a wife, they'd issue you one type thing, like you just don't have time for everything, and so once things started to slow down, that itch came back so. I started you know I started my own um account when I was younger. Um it was something you know my dad wanted me to learn. And I had that account was still active and you know I still had money in it and I was trading it on and off through college a little bit and um and then when I was starting to work for him I obviously was trading on the firm's book and then I I activated my own again um about 8 months in and uh that's when I kind of had to figure out something. I was trained in you know, treasury options, very professional, um, industry, not this like futures day trading stuff. Um, so I spent, uh, about six months dabbling, losing money, you know, making a little bit here. Um, and then were that's when I futures? really, were they, were I was just trading, I was trading futures and I was doing some equity options cause I thought options is what I had to trade. Cause that's what I knew. Um, and I, you know, I had, you know, probably six months of fluttering, making and losing. I probably went scratch over six months. So it was pretty decent learning how to, you know, manage a day trading account. And then uh, I decided to implement some of these little things from the Marine Corps into trading. Um, You know, Marine Corps were famous for discipline, right? And what is discipline? Well, discipline is not so much, you know, there's a saying discipline is willingness and obedience to all orders, but it's also having like that self-control. You only create that self-control when there's an accountability. If there's no nothing there to hold you accountable, if it's just losing money and no one's going to question you on it, then, you know, it's easy to lack. So I created some discipline around some accountabilities and I held myself accountable to the rules of my trading. And, uh, so I was pretty active, um, trading throughout my, uh, whole time in, um, built out positions. I started, went from day trading to, you know, bigger swing trading to starting to manage my own actual long-term positions, um, you know. Ha- and then that's when I realized, you know, I had to start adding my the option to hedge. So I started hedging my positions. So I would start to buy some options to kind of help cover if the market went against me. Um, you know, and that's, then I, you know, and in- included some spreads into that. Um and I was just kind of all over the place. So when I got out of the Marine Corps, I uh I didn't know what the heck I was gonna do. I you know, I didn't think trading was the route to go. I was like, man, I should probably get a normal job and put this, you know, keep this little day trading on the side. And I got out and I was still on payroll for the Marine Corps for three months. I had saved up so much um leave that I got out, you know, three months early from my actual um end of active service date, my EAS date as we call it. And so I got out and I uh I went two weeks without working and I lost my mind. Yeah. I couldn't take it. And so I got in the car, I drove to the board and I walked out on the floor. I still had, you know, I had my membership and stuff that I had I've had my whole life or my whole life since I was a kid. I walked down on the floor, and uh, I looked up at my dad. And I said, hey, Pops, I'm here. And he goes, about damn time. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's kind of where it all really, you know, I started back down on the floor with him. Um, you know, got back into the full-time, handling the swings, right, Jack? That's the difference of, like that managing your own small retail account to the professional account, like the swings are different and like the psychological, you know, 20 grand down, if that was your personal account, that's scary. You know, that's a frightening number when you're on a big prop firm account. Like, Oh, that's, it's just 20 yeah, grand. I mean, it's right? not
0: ideal, but we can work with it. You know, right, like- I
1: can work with that. Like I'm not buried. So I had to kind of like get back into that routine and, um, so I did that on the floor and then from there realized the floor trading just, you know, volatility was so low at the time I was back in like 2014, 2015 volatility was so low. And as an options trader, you're trading the vol. Um, and if volatility is low, you know, spreads are tighter. Money isn't going to be made as easily and too much risk on the table. Yeah. So that's when I went up to the office and, uh, Learned charting, real charting, not just like stuff that I learned, you know, on YouTube. And I worked with a mentor up there, taught me all. I, that's when I was trading um, treasury and cash spreads. Worked with a bunch of uh, natural gas traders and a couple of Texas oil guys um, that were trading all sorts of stuff. And that's really where it took off for me. And uh, it was so fast, so high speed, you know, all of a sudden now I'm a full-time professional prop trader, paying desk fees and tech fees and equipment fees. And, you know, and that's, it was, I mean, you know, the movies and TV kind of glorified a little bit, but it was, I mean, it was, it was kind of a party, you know? I mean, it was big, you know, up days, you know, guy in the office, you know, and has a knockout of the park day and it was celebrations and it was, it was
0: wild, and and what, what like, I'm going to go ahead and guess this is like 2014 or something. <laughs> yeah, 2014, 2015, yeah. 2016. Yeah, I was at that same time. That's I was also trading the, uh, you know, treasury cash spreads and things like yep. that. And it, it was a great time to be doing that.
1: Right? I mean, you're making 100 bucks a tick on a one lot. and I mean, the money starts, to, it, it's easy to get kind of caught up in it. And as long as you were controlling your risk, you know, that was the big factor. It's like- you had to always, the first focus was always what's the risk, right? And like, I know that there's huge potential for upside, you know, in this position. Like, okay, if I take this position on, how can I hedge this position to ensure, you know, downside control? If it goes against me, like, where's my out? There's so many factors you really had to take into account. And that's where for me, knowing that like I was – I was on the risk management side at the time, you know, I was obviously, it was a, my dad owned a few different prop firms. And so I was in one of his prop firms and I was doing risk management as well. And so, end of day, I got the email of like every PNL and then I saw partners, my dad and a couple of the guys, you know, their responses to any, you know, big down days and, you know, the bodies in and out of the office and transition of traders and, you know, you really realized how fast you can also lose it. That was such a recognition for me of like, how do I trade with this and control? And so for me, it just became really, if I can control the downside and, you know, chip away each and every day little bits, that the big moves are going to be there. you know, you we're going to have those big up days that, you know, people look for, they're going to show up. I, it was just a matter of really chipping it little and little and little. And, you know, I don't think there's any edge or strategy you can have until you have that mindset of how do I control the risk? How do I control the downside? Yeah. Once you do that, then you can build.
0: Well, especially with, you know, when you're at the professional firms with, the, you know, the size the firms trading or things like that, it can really turn into – a conflagration pretty quick because you you got a lot of moving parts there, and you got to make sure. I don't know. About, I don't know about you, but I know in my experience, like technology is not always going to work, and things mm-hmm. will freeze. Your piano will freeze. You hear that because it, it would sound. and I'm sure it plays with similar. It sounds like a, a casino in there because there's sound ding, ding, effects. Ding, ding,
1: ding, ding, yeah, everything.
0: Sound effects for the fills, and uh, there's like a sound effects or people being mished or
1: stuff like that. Where it's yep. just going off through there and um and i had alerts of like what anything that traded over 500 so if it trades over 500 i had th- that alert was a different sound than you know my 1000 lots that were traded and that was a different sound so i had all these different alerts and then you're in a room of like 15 to 20 guys and everyone has these sounds going and so like we always used to joke like when when they when the machines were talking money was being made. And so we were always laughing. So, like, if you weren't traded any you, you came into the, we always called it the pit. Like it was just a nasty room of a bunch of smelly guys in basketball shorts sitting around headphones. and you'd open up the door. What, yeah. Were you headphones. A headphones guy. It's like everyone just got their headphones on. We only had like two guys that wore headphones. Cause we were all chatting all day long. You know, we were joking around. We had a little putting green in the one corner we had a chipping net in the other corner, basketball. And, um, my dad was always a, a big fan of, uh, arcade games. So we had a bunch of arcade games and so there's always stuff going on. It was such a fun time, but it, it's mentally and physically exhausting and takes a toll.
0: Yeah. Cause, it, Cause you were probably holding, you know, positions overnight too, right?
1: Holding positions overnight. I mean, you know, prime example was going into two in 2016, we had two major events that happened. And uh, we carried positions into Brexit, like not recognizing how big of an event the Brexit vote would be. So we all carried positions and you know, that was one of the first like 72 hour stints of trading I ever had. So no sleep for 72 hours and we everyone was at home like sleeping, you know, get up, you know you keep the you keep the system in your living room or close to it so you could get up and go check what was happening and crank the volume. And, um, so 2016 happened, there was no sleep for days and it all started going nuts. And obviously your home internet just doesn't compare to the, the, the office internet. And like, and that make that's a huge edge too, that I don't think people recognize when you get to that professional level, like the fiber optic and the internet that you have running into these, like, that's why these offices try and get as close as possible to the CME, to the border trade, because you want the speed that millisecond makes such a difference. Well, yeah, then we had this microwave
0: line, the New York, yeah. for like the cash things. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. We weren't really like, they allowed a few people to there who'd been there forever to kind of trade remotely, but we generally weren't allowed to. But So we had uh, night guys there covering it. So s- similar dynamic where you'd get a call in the middle of the night and um, it was never good. You guys were a
1: lot bigger firm than us. Yeah, we were we were still we were relatively small. Yeah, but it's but but I I appreciate what
0: you're saying though about like and this will probably play into maybe the next part of your story and stuff like that. Is it is sort of a mentally and physically kind of exhausting job, and it's kind of hard to reconcile with you know other people or a family and stuff too that that, that don't necessarily understand what you're doing because it's kind of hard to explain if you're not like the listeners of this. Who are into you know retail trading and stuff? They they understand this stuff. They know the markets are open around there. They know what they're doing. But like to someone who's a complete never heard of before, it all sounds kind of uh, crazy. I always like explain. in my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, would be like, you know, what do you do? And I'd be like, um, <laughs>
1: How
0: well, do I explain it. I try and use a fast computer to um, hit the mouse really to, really, to, really fast to, to 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 buy a cash bond before the futures move half a tick. And it's like, okay, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, right. Right. So, that, that I, was a little tricky. I know that was tough for me.
1: It, it, it's always tough to explain. Like, I, I, you know, it's funny you bring it up like this 24 hour market. Like, I, you know, my whole influence was from being a kid and watching this and like pits would close. Dad would come home and he, you know, he coached hockey. He coached our football team. Like he was at everything. And just every so often you'd see him like grab the, you know, if we were at the ice rink, he'd just run up to the front desk before cell phones and grab the front desk phone. And he'd call into his floor, his, his clerk that was on the floor and he'd call in and say, hey, what are bonds? And the guy would just give him the quote and be like, all right, sounds good. And like, so he knew what was coming the next day. But now since we have this 24 hour access, it went from like a job to truly a massive lifestyle. Yeah, like, you had to live it, and um, it was there was there wasn't off time. You know, we would lose our job if we took off an unemployment Friday or an expiration Friday. Like you just don't care how sick you are. I don't care what you have going on. You're not. You don't take those days off. Yeah, I mean, when we switched
0: this around, when you interview me, I was like, we had a slightly different uh, policy as that, but I could totally see, especially especially with like you know a slightly like smaller place. Yeah. It kind of shows a lack of, you know, commitment. And it's such a competitive industry that, you know, you want people that eat, sleep, whatever Absolutely. else. trading.
1: I mean, you think about it like this day and age, it's, you know, employ the, the employee employer connection, they, everyone's, you know, fighting to be the best place to work. We're like prop firms. That's not, it's a performance based industry. The employers, you know, they don't care how much you love coming into work every day. If you're not performing, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I won't, I won't
0: like. uh, I mean, go into this more next week, but I I won't defend every aspect of it. The wax philosophic. There are there are elements of the prop trading industry that are pretty. I would say, you know, I don't don't know if the words like toxic or sort of uh, less than ideal. I would say. Right, but um, one of the things I have trouble with now sometimes, and we'll get to uh, how you join Top Step, is when it, when you, I'm in a more traditional role now, is sometimes people are afraid to just like tell you what to do and like do it now, and mm-hmm. I kind of miss that. In some things that have you know it used to be if it was important,
1: if someone needs something unimportant, they would just say do it, and I was like just okay. Get yeah. I'll, I'll. Right. Like that's I, that's always been my job. Is like you know since I was 19 years old, it was you know trading, and I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps. Like just this is what it is. Get it done. I'm like okay, like we're gonna make it happen. And so you know my transition, I guess, as I came to Top Step. You know prior to that, the like guy had known Michael um, for quite some time, and. I really didn't have much of an intention of stopping, you know, the prop from trading until one day um, we had a guy. um, He was trading a really niche industry, and he had very strict risk parameters. Um, Couldn't trade more than two weeks out. Couldn't, you know, max contract size. And one night, you know, he had a big year up to this point. I mean, serious, seriously great year so far. And one night he lost all of that. And we came in the next morning and everything he had made on the year, and this is in like September. So everything he made that year is gone and hadn't gotten out of his position because he couldn't because there's no one to fill the other side. And so when you're trading these illiquid markets, if there's no one to fill the other side, you're stuck. So we came into work the next morning. The partners had him escorted out, changed all, we had to go in and change all the, passwords and credentials to get in and uh we got in there to uh try and close his position and it wouldn't let us we could not get out of his position we had actually gotten it had gone so against everything got locked up and uh we ended up that day with it took about three days to get out of position you know a multiple eight figure loss and uh seven figure i think is what it was and uh that was my sign of like, all right, I don't ever want that to ever happen to me. So my initial plan was I was just going to take some time off and uh, go back to smaller stuff, the small home you know, retail trading that I was doing. And then uh, I talked with Michael, and he was like, hey, I want to get this uh, performance coach thing going over here at Top Step. Why don't you come join us? And uh, I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't even... I don't even know what you do for work. Did you meet MP on the floor? No. So he was next door neighbors to my childhood best friend. Okay. And uh, so I was always at my friend's house and then he would always be there. And then one day we connected that like he was a trader and I was a trader. And then another guy, you may have heard of him or seen him around, uh, Andre, who used to be with Top Step, uh, he was a trader. And then we all like made this big connection of like, holy cow, we're all do the same thing. And uh, I came to Top Step with no real expectation, not really. I was like, I don't know, well, let's see what happens. And now, you know, almost almost four years later, I'm still here and I love working with traders. I'm enjoying my smaller retail accounts and I get to sleep all night long for eight hours and not be bothered by a phone call that the markets went haywire. Like, hey, the markets went haywire if I don't have a position on, you know, I'm not worried. Yeah. Yeah, it's a double-edged
0: sword That's sort of, you know, d- dream a lot of people have of you know, becoming a professional trader. Uh, like a lot of things, the psychologists we interviewed could probably go further into it. You know, right. once you achieve something, you're always looking for the next thing. And it doesn't matter how big you get. There's always that specter of that it could, you know, something could happen that could wipe it all away. We've all heard stories or something like that of people that even had... Amazing careers, but then kept trading after in their own accounts. And
1: well, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Paul Tudor Jones had the big account lost, and I, I I could be wrong on who it was. So let's delete the Paul Tudor Jones part here. But I I know there's some pretty famous trader out there. There's a story that he was up a hundred million dollars over you know the two year span and lost it all really fast, and then had to start from the ground up, and then that's when he really built an empire. Um It's amazing. It can go just like that.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something you have to be prepared with. But I think it goes back to even if you're starting out or you're a retail trader, I think that what Dan is saying about sort of chipping away and not putting yourself in those sorts of positions to um, like, I don't know what the person in your instance was trading, but other people um, that I know of that have had sort of a cataclysmic blowout like that. You know, it wasn't completely out of left field. I mean, if you think Mm -hmm. of like long-term capital management or some people I know from trading, they tended to have positions that would be, I would say, spicy, pretty spicy. And they had built enough of a reputation that you trusted when they would just say, it's all right, I got it. Yeah, No worries about it. And that was always true until it happened. And then one night there'd be some some exogenous variable
1: would come in. And before you know it, it was just, just over. No doubt. I mean, that's to me why I think what I love about top step is number one, like the risk isn't on the trader, right? The risk is on someone else. And it's pretty cut and dry. Like you're not, if we, if this account gets lost, like it's not, you know, the account gets lost, like we lose the money, but the trader themselves is never going to sit there and take those financial losses where a lot of places, if you have those cataclysmic failures, like the firm, if you broke contract and did something that you weren't supposed to do that was within the contract, the firm can in turn go back and say, Hey, you violated a contract. Therefore we're going to pursue, we're going to pursue this. Yeah. Um. And at the end of the day, I think if what I love is, you know, the traders at Top Step really have kind of respected and understood this illiquidity thing. If the markets aren't liquid and it goes against you and you can't get out, you know, you, those are not positions that you want to be in as a trader. And it all, I think it just, again, it just goes full circle over that little by little. It's all about the downside first. You've got, I hate that that's always everyone's topic is like, what's the, you know, what's the worst part of trading? But that's what you have to focus on before you can start thinking about the great things that come along with it.
0: It's what you can sleep with. It's sort your of tax on like you never want a position that you can't to some extent live your life and sleep with. If you have something just a an gnawing position in the back of your mind for days or weeks, it's just it's not a good place to be. It's like so some people who have been successful. It's the same thing they say about, you know, paying taxes or something because you, you make enough money and people will come to you, lawyers accountants there's a big industry of uh you know doing all sorts of interesting things to reduce your tax burden and the, 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 these things are legal probably but at a certain point like it's like i'm going to i'm going to pay enough so that i can sleep so that i'm worried so that i'm not going to get <laughs> wesley sniped you know what i'm saying right i don't need the irs knocking on my door yeah i don't i don't need any of that so like that's kind of how i feel about trading too so that's interesting so um Yeah. And that brings us about to now what you said, I think is true. I think they have been handling this,
1: uh, illiquidity well. Absolutely. I mean, it's been, uh, been a fun four years and I don't see it ending anytime soon. And the best part about it is, you know, we all get to still engage in these markets. And I think that's, I think that's the best thing I can say to anyone listening is, you know, as we get to experience right now, I feel like every six months, it's a once in a lifetime market condition, right? And, Volatility is super high. When volatility is super high, we start to see markets extending. We see good ranges and we see tons of opportunity to, to make money. I mean, that's what we're here for. And I'm, I will never shy away from the fact that my favorite thing about trading is making money. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um, and it, but it all comes down to making sure, as you know, Michael always says, always trade for tomorrow and I think that's about as true as it gets if you're not thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> yeah.
0: When you see some of these, you know, hedge funds and stuff like that will explain themselves like oh we're like the foremost liquidity provider as if that's right. If that's the game they're in. It's like, oh, ain't that a crack of shit? <laughs> 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 like I was bored as a young man, all I wanted to do was go and provide liquidity to the treasury right. bond market. Jesus.
1: Right. Well, that's the cool thing now with technology is like you don't have to be the one that provides liquidity. You don't have to be a market maker. You know, like think that's where it started. If you were going to get involved in this and you wanted to be that retail local trader, your job was to first make a market and take every trade that came in because you had to make a market. Now we can kind of just sit back and I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I don't have to say what's going to happen here, but I like that. I'm going to click, and no one knows it was me.
0: (laughs) Well, very nice. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it for today. Uh, Dan Hodgman, thanks for joining us on the uh, podcast. Always fun to be here. All right. Well, uh, hope you're having a great November. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode, which will – probably be dan interviewing me so i'm, I'm uh, looking forward dude i'm i'm gonna work on some deep questions that's what i'm gonna do i gotta go back to my binder my memory is not what it used to be but i'll figure it out perfect so until then namaste and trade well the limit up podcast is produced by dante 32